This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. The woke want to turn our society into a cultural wasteland. Until recently, the word woke was a past tense verb, as in the sentence, we woke at dawn. Now it's a noun, and a very destructive noun at that. The word is kind of a shorthand term that describes both the leftist and the Marxist society to which they want to plunge us. As with most leftist ideas, wokeness germinated for a long time before emerging into the light. It sat in the compost heap of modern academia and grew deep roots. Then it matured and sent its shoots out to the wider culture. Today, the Return to Order moment examines the culture of woke through three essays by Mr. Edwin Benson. The first, An Invitation to Awaken the Woke Revolution Around Us, Mr. Benson reviews a very important new book, Nicole Maring's Awake, Not Woke. Quote, The revolution is not born from a stable society of whole persons. It comes from a divided society that is populated by a wounded citizenry who see revolution as their righteous solution. Unquote. This is one of many quote-worthy statements in the book, Awake, Not Woke, A Christian Response to the Cult of Progressive Ideology by Noel Mehring. Most people find the whole woke movement baffling. Not since the 60s has any revolutionary movement attempted so much cultural change. The woke crowd finds fault with every aspect of life. They see oppression in everything from apple pie to mathematics to nuclear arms. Woke ideas allow any quote-unquote oppressed person to commit a forbidden act, no matter how reprehensible. Awake Not Woke is a guidebook to the woke worldview. Mrs. Mehring tells us what it is and how some came to espouse it. She reveals its flaws and indicates the road back to sanity. In a nutshell, the tenets of wokeness can be summarized in this manner. Quote, the first of the three ruling woke dogmas is the primacy of the group over the person. The second is an emphasis on the will at the expense of reason or nature. And the third is the elevation of human power in rejection of higher authority, unquote. Both Christianity and American culture carry a strong sense of the individual. Free will is both a religious and a secular doctrine that has its consequence in the lives of individuals. Christianity teaches that individuals will have to account for their actions at their judgments, those who respond well to God's grace will attain paradise. Those who reject God will earn eternal torment. Likewise, the state exercises justice through its legal and police systems. It examines an individual's acts. When convicted of a crime, the person is then judged to be guilty. Guilt carries punishment. Those who are innocent are free to live and act in society. The woke reject individual responsibility. Membership in a group determines one's judgment. The old-fashioned Marxist defines the groups by economic class, the oppressed poor, and the rich oppressors. The woke shift the focus to race and identity. Therefore, 
the woke only tolerate white people who take radical anti-racist stands. Blacks, Hispanics, Asians, and all indigenous peoples are automatically virtuous, unless they are conservatives. According to Mrs. Merring, the development of a woke worldview develops from two questions, both of which focus on selfish motives. The first question is, what do I want? Personal desires are all important. No legitimate limits exist, especially in the realm of sexual restraint. This ideology holds that the oppressive dominant culture holds down all others. It creates all differences between men and women, which is seen as a matter of personal preference. This focus on sexual pleasure also diminishes the role of the family, which in turn oppresses women and children. The second question is, how have I been hurt? Christianity teaches us to accept our sufferings and transcend them by doing good to others. The woke strive to hold someone or some group responsible for individual misfortunes. This seedbed of grievance becomes the root of desiring power. One then uses that power to punish the oppressors. Where the desire question focuses on sexuality, the grievance question concentrates on race. Unlike sexual quote-unquote social constructs, which are changeable, the woke emphasize racial differences that are not changeable. The woke believe any relationship between a white person and one of another race is an oppressive white attempt to retain power and authority. There is little the person can do about it, even when following a strict anti-racist code. The summer of 2020 provided abundant evidence of how woke ideas destroyed the social order. The $2 billion worth of destruction in the nation's cities is a product of the disintegration of individual responsibility. Focusing on desire and grievance deprives people of any higher ideals. Overt sexuality makes them animalistic, and resentment makes them angry. Soon, the once human being becomes the angry animal. Quote, History shows us that human beings are capable of previously unimaginable evils, especially if, hungry for meaning, they are given someone to hate and the conviction of the righteousness in their hatred. Unquote. Mrs. Merring compares the woke movement with the Chinese Cultural Revolution, 1966 to 1976. Mao Zedong set himself up as a godlike figure. Mao's followers carried a little red book of his quotations, which they considered to be revealed truth. Many quotations inspired hatred against any tradition, but especially focused on the quote-unquote landlord class. The landlords lost every shred of human dignity in public quote-unquote struggle sessions. Simultaneously, their accusers increasingly resembled feral cats fighting over a piece of fish. Such a society ends in chaos. Only then comes the coup de grace. The central government uses its authority and troops to end the mayhem, setting up a regime more oppressive than anything that came before it. 
Many social commentators decry the woke culture, but fail to see that it is a product of a decadent liberal society. It takes individualism to an extreme by allowing the person to define quote-unquote gender identity and right or wrong. Woke culture turns freedom into license to do whatever one wants. It destroys all the structures that give purpose and meaning to life. Above all, the woke world does not consider God or the influence of the church. For Mrs. Mehring, the only social institution that can repair the damage is the family. She speaks from experience as the mother of six. Quote, Each of the three distorted dogmas of the woke, diminution of the person, rejection of reason, and contempt of authority, is restored through the engine of a healthy family, unquote. She makes the case that the traditional family, as we know it, is a product of Catholicism. The church, she argues, extended the family, limited by the pagan Romans primarily to patricians, quote, to every class, even to the slaves, unquote. The family can repair society because it has three strengths that other social institutions lack. Quote, Firstly, the family is deeply personal, unquote. The family is an outgrowth of natural law and only buckles under immense force. Each family functions in different ways, although the nature of the family is fixed. Secondly, the family transmits virtue that fosters order and reason. Christian parents teach traditions, morality, and the faith to the next generation. The third strength is that the family introduces children to, quote, rightful authority, not through control or domination, but with the care and wisdom to maintain boundaries and nurture a love for the good, unquote. The book explains the intellectual currents that led to wokeism. Especially noteworthy is the author's description of the impact of the quote-unquote Frankfurt School upon the movement. Awake, Not Woke, A Christian Response to the Cult of Progressive Ideology by Noel Mehring is a tremendously valuable resource. It is not an easy or a quick read. The difficulty is not due to philosophical jargon, but rather the book's invitation to ponder what has happened to the nation. Read this book slowly and reflect upon it. Much has been made of the effect of wokeness on politics and education. However, the rot goes far deeper, threatening institutions and ideas once thought impenetrable. The rest of today's podcast will look at two examples of this social deterioration. These two aspects of woke culture have been chosen because they are relatively obscure. They are both examples of ways that the woke make war on many institutions often thought of as liberal bastions. The first example exposes the way that the world of classical music has been forced to give way. Mr. Benson discussed that in his essay, Why Woke Warriors Aim to Strangle Classical Music. These are challenging times for the classical music world. Critical race theory and its fellow travelers are targeting music, 
blasting away, cutting the ground out from under them much faster than they can shore up their foundations. The accusations against classical music are like those in other fields. There are not enough blacks or Hispanics among classical music's audiences, orchestras, conductors, administrators, composers, or patrons. The critical race theory agitators allow only two possible explanations. The classical music establishment is either overtly or systemically racist. No other options exist. There is no evidence of overt racism. Indeed, for over 30 years, elite schools of music have actively recruited black and Hispanic musicians. They have combed the libraries for works composed by members of quote-unquote marginalized groups. They have written orchestral settings for tunes written in other genres like jazz and rock and roll. The results have been disappointing. The critical theory racists argue that the problem must be more profound. Some sinister currents of a racist culture must be preventing blacks from succeeding in the cultural music world. Most orchestras were already hanging on by a thread before the current cultural attacks. Indeed, audiences for classical music are shrinking. Fifty years ago, most high schools had orchestras. Most children in them never became professional musicians, but the experience put them in a position to appreciate classical music and attend concerts. Since then, the number of school orchestras has steadily declined. Parents conditioned by three generations of rock and roll buy their children guitars and drums, not violins and French horns. As music teachers retired, many school systems shifted those salaries to science and math programs. That factor partially explains a phenomenon that critic Terry Teachout noticed in April 2005. Quote, Classical music in America is in an increasingly tight corner. Though many respected performing groups continue to draw respectable crowds, most are finding it harder to do so. And even still popular ensembles like the New York Philharmonic are watching their subscribers grow grayer by the year. The mainstream media long ago lost interest in classical artists. Classical radio stations are fast becoming a thing of the past, and the major classical record labels are in terminal decline, unquote. These declining audiences have forced orchestras to shift their fundraising efforts to a decreasing pool of corporations and foundations interested in financing their work. As a result, the orchestras are finding that the world of classical music supporters is intimidated by woke leftists. Thus, the purveyors of classical music are especially vulnerable to charges like the following from the New Yorker's Alex Ross. Quote, the whiteness of classical music is, above all, an American problem. The racial and ethnic makeup of the canon is hardly surprising, given European demographics before the 20th century. But when that tradition was transported to the multicultural United States, it blended into the racial hierarchy that had governed the country from its founding. 
The white majority tended to adopt European music as a badge of its superiority. Little effort was made to cultivate American composers. It seemed more important to manufacture a fantasy of Beethovenian grandeur, unquote. Many arguments refute Mr. Ross's analysis, since minorities are very involved in music. African-American composers and musicians used their ability in more popular and more profitable musical forms. Universities like New York's Juilliard School can point to long-established programs to recruit musicians from minority communities, creating opportunities that often go unfulfilled. Asian musicians are increasingly numerous and prominent on the American classical music stage. However factual those arguments may be, they do not translate well into the woke lexicon. Such points are much too logical and do not enter the leftists' favorite emotional realm. Corporations and foundations are horrified by the quote-unquote anti-racist mentality that spins off from critical race theory. Risk-averse corporate cultures shriek in terror at the very idea of blundering into the crosshairs of a cultural controversy. Many large foundations, like the very liberal Ford Foundation and the Carnegie Corporation, stop subsidizing the suddenly radioactive organizations. So the orchestras capitulate. Heather MacDonald documents the depths of their submission in her article, Classical Music's Suicide Pact. Quote, The League of American Orchestras issued a statement confessing that, for decades, it had tolerated and perpetuated systemic discrimination against black people, discrimination mirrored in the practices of orchestras throughout our country. The Hartford Symphony Orchestra apologized for its history of inaction to effectively confront the racist systems and structures that have long oppressed and marginalized black musicians, composers, and communities. The Seattle Orchestra announced that it would continue to prioritize anti-racism and make amends for causing harm, unquote. The Seattle Opera actually went one step further. In 2020, they released a video with the captivating title, Crescendo for Racial Justice in Opera. It features five black and Hispanic panelists, moderated by the organization's Director of Programs and Partnerships. This groveling program is unimpressive. The social justice warrior stance does not impress anyone. The orchestras, opera companies, and schools should stand out as conservators of a valuable social tradition. The soul-lifting qualities of classical music are much needed in a materialistic world. Jumping into the gutter with their detractors only gets them dirty. The cultural Marxists do not care about classical music or the presumed legions of the oppressed musicians. They want to move toward an egalitarian society where there is no room for any excellence. They do not want to lift up the musicians. They want to stop the music.
The unity of cultural Marxism with critical race theory makes sense because they both seek to create class struggle and destroy the social harmony that should exist in a genuinely Catholic society. Indeed, the socialist utopia is nothing but a gray hell of despair. In many cases, the shock troops within the woke vanguard are LGBT activists. In fact, many of the tactics of the woke were tried and tested in the battle to make Americans accept the lie that homosexuality is merely an alternative form of being normal. No doubt, few listeners to this podcast are involved in birdwatching in any but the most casual way. However, the way that serious birdwatching community is being infected is an example of the promotion of the woke homosexual agenda. Mr. Benson describes that process in his essay, How the LGBTQ Activists Attack Birdwatchers as Subversives. The world of the woke gets increasingly curious by the day. Recently, an article crossed my desk from Front Page magazine. It described a movement to specifically involve the LGBTQ crowd in birdwatching. I have never been a bird watcher, or birder as they are called. I enjoy beautiful plumage as much as anyone, and spent many hours as a child with my father's uncle's copy of Audubon's Birds of America, which I eventually inherited. However, the book is enough for me. Sitting outside on a cold, damp day, waiting in the hope of finding the bird on the wing, is not my idea of a way to spend an otherwise duty-free Saturday afternoon. At the same time, I do understand the appeal for those who feel it. God's creation is magnificent, and the beauty of birds, and their sometimes amusing behavior, is a beautiful part of it. On the other hand, I never thought that the bird-watching world excluded those who make up the alphabet soup of LGBTQ plus inclinations. David Sibley disagrees. Mr. Sibley is the author and illustrator of the Sibley Guide to Birds. His illustrations are much like those of the legendary Audubon. However, Mr. Sibley believes that the outdoor bird-watching scene threatens many people. On February 27, 2021, he posted on Facebook, quote, The outdoors is for everyone and has felt unsafe to many LGBTQIA2S plus folks for too long. Today, ask yourself, what could I do better? Unquote. The posting touched several nerves. Front Page's author, Danusha Gaska, recorded several of the responses. Quote, Too many white cishet and male people are so used to not having to think about anyone but themselves. It's a part of the foundation of white straight privilege. They don't have to think about race or gender because it doesn't affect them every single day like it does so many others. Unquote. Quote, LGBT plus people are threatened, attacked, and even murdered. Unquote. Quote, Homophobia and the violence that flows from it is a well-documented scourge. Unquote. While I was unaware of such a controversy until a couple of days ago, 
Some see the birdwatching world as a haven of the right-wingers that Hillary Clinton once described as a, quote, basket of deplorables, unquote. Such was the apparent premise of an article in Audubon magazine in 2018 titled, For the LGBTQ Community, Birding Can Be a Relief and a Source of Anxiety, by Benji Jones. It begins with a not-too-subtle comment about the species Homo sapiens. Quote, If there's one reason that so many queer folks love nature, it's that animals aren't judgy. A raccoon doesn't care who you're attracted to. A garter snake isn't going to question your gender. Unquote. This statement is a classic of anthropomorphism, applying human traits to non-human beings. The author implies that lower animals decide not to judge, care, or question. The fact is that animals cannot decide anything. They lack the ability to reason. There may be a high degree of instinctive intelligence, but that is all. My dog does not decide to bark at the mailman when he comes up to my door. She instinctively senses that the mailman is invading her territory, and she does what she can to defend it. She is just as likely to bark at me when I come up onto the stoop until I say something, and she connects my voice to an instinct that tells her that I am safe. The tortuous chain of pseudo-reasoning that connects birdwatching to racism and homosexuality is typical of the left. Any apparent connection is sufficient, even if a modicum of research proves it false. In an earlier article for Front Page magazine on a similar subject, Danusha Gaska pointed to a national public radio broadcast that illustrates another example of this illogic in action. At the center of the issue are the many birds named after naturalists that first discovered the species. In fact, the American Ornithological Society is considering changing the names of 149 American birds named after men. NPR approves. The slate must be washed clean of all anti-woke sentiment. The segment specifically mentions the Bachman Warbler, which nears extinction. The NPR segment dismisses John Bachman, 1790 to 1874, stating, quote, Bachman also fancied himself to be a scientist, unquote. Danusha Gaska corrects the scientific record. Dr. Bachman was, quote, responsible for the descriptions of the 147 mammal species included in viviparous quadrupeds of North America, a massive work produced in collaboration with John James Audubon, unquote. In fact, the association of Dr. Bachman and Mr. Audubon was such that two of Dr. Bachman's daughters married two of Mr. Audubon's sons. Dr. Bachman was also a professor of natural history at the College of Charleston. This information was not hard to find. I was able to confirm the information with a simple Google search whose only search term was John Bachman. NPR could easily have seen that he was a real scientist had they done any research. However, He was still a South Carolinian during the Civil War, so he must have been a racist. Wrong. 
In 2006, the state of South Carolina honored Dr. Bachman. The Senate resolution listed his many accomplishments, working toward harmony between the races, including teaching those of African descent contrary to the times. The whole birdwatching conflict is a case of absurdity embroidered with inaccuracy. In this, it is typical of much of the nonsense behind those who, like all Marxists, describe history through a class struggle lens. In this case, birdwatching has been turned from an innocent pastime into an ideological battlefield. It shows that nothing is left undisputed in the total war to destroy American culture and Christian morals. This concludes, The Woke Want to Turn Our Society into a Cultural Wasteland. Thank you so much for listening. Return to Order, of which this podcast is only a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating with the service through which you are listening to it. Increased subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will be directed to the Return to Order moment when searching for new podcasts. So, by rating us, you can help Return to Order be more effective. In addition, subscribers gain access to all previous episodes of the Return to Order moment. We would also like to recommend the book which spells out our motivations behind our work. Mr. John Horvath's book, Return to Order, is available as a free download through our website, www.returntoorder.org, or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2021 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.